Hey, good morning, church. Happy New Year. Oh, man, I'm looking forward to a great start to our year. Glad that you are here. You made the priority, the effort to start your new year off right. I'm sure all of you were at the gym at five this morning. Yeah, you're like, no, no, that's tomorrow. Well, I'm glad that you are here. Take your Bibles, if you would, Colossians. We begin a new series entitled The New Rules of Resolutions. And as you find Colossians, last year, 2015, I looked up what were the top resolutions of last year. And I'm going to read off the top 10, and maybe some of these were your resolutions from last year. Uh, The first one, the number one, it's probably not too hard to guess, was stay fit and be healthy. That was the top resolution from 2015. Kind of makes sense. Here's the second one. Lose weight. Third one was enjoy life to the fullest, which is really uh, vague. I mean, that, that's really, I mean, those are one of those goals you just kind of look back and kind of say, yeah, I think I accomplished that. It's, it's really hard to kind of pinpoint that goal down. Number four was spend less, save more. Number five was spend more time with family and friends. Number six was get organized. Or maybe this was you, number seven will not make any resolutions. How many of you, that was you last year. You're just like, I'm not making any. Okay, a few honest people here. Okay, there we go. You're in church. All right, awesome. And uh, number eight was learn something new. Number nine was travel more. And number 10 was read more, read more. Well, we're entitling this series, The New Rules of Resolutions, and we're going to be jumping into the book of Colossians. And I want us to, over the next five weeks, to kind of get such a grasp on two verses that we just have such a firm hold on them that they have a hold on our lives and they can impact us. Because I think you and I, we struggle with the thought that once we receive Christ, uh, once we become a Christian, a, a, a born-again believer, so to speak, that that we have these kind of these expectations that we, we kind of struggle with. And we say, why aren't these kind of working out exactly like I had planned? And so over the next five weeks, we're going to see how do we take those resolutions we know we should have and how do we work those out in our own Christian life? How do we develop these? How do we grow in these? And we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter number two, and we're going to read just a few verses in Colossians chapter number Two. Let me read these aloud. The words be up on the screen or in your worship guide. Colossians chapter number two, verse number six says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him. Verse number seven, rooted and built up, established in the faith as you have been taught. And I love this word, abounding therein with thanksgiving. I'm going to continue reading verse number eight. Beware listening men spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Let's open up a word of prayer as we dive into this message. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for a great start to a new year. We pray that you would use this year in a miraculous way. I pray that we would take the lessons we learned in 2015 and we'd bring them with us into 2016. I pray that you would help us to have a 2016 that honors you. I pray that we would grow this year. I pray that we would walk in you, that we would take these scripture verses, that we would be rooted and built up, established in you, that when life kind of knocks us down, we have that firm foundation that is rooted in Christ. I think we live in a perilous time where we see so many Christians who are falling away, who may profess 
that they know you. But when trials and when storms come, it seems like they just stop being a Christian and they just walk away. And I pray that we would find a firm foundation in you. You are our rock and we look to you. Pray that you would use this message. I pray that you would speak through me this morning. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. All right. All right. Amen and amen. Have you ever had that thought that if I am a saved Christian, why do I still struggle? I mean, once you receive Jesus Christ, shouldn't it just be easy from then on out? Shouldn't it just kind of be like, hey, I, I made that one great decision. I asked Jesus Christ into my heart. I've, I've kind of left some things in my past and are walking in my future. But how come I still have thoughts that may be lustful. How come whenever um, I hear somebody that I don't necessarily like all that much gets a promotion or they get a new house or a new car, how come there's this spirit that kind of wells up inside of me, maybe a spirit of of irritation, a spirit of jealousy, and then you kind of look inside and you're like, ooh, I I thought I'd gotten over that. I thought I'd gotten past that. Or or how come you may be going through life and you think that, hey, I thought I had grown past my anger issues. I thought once I received Christ that I wouldn't lose my temper anymore. I thought that once I became a believer that I wouldn't have the temptation to drink as much. Or I wouldn't have the temptation to run with the wrong crowd. I thought that once I got saved, that meant the struggles were over. And I'm here to tell you that not that the struggles have just begun, but the struggles that you're dealing with are a day-to-day thing that keep on going, no matter you're saved or not saved. And so through this series, we're going to learn what do we do, because I think you are much like me in the fact that I love to get things done. I love to accomplish things. I love to check things off on my to-do list. Matter of fact, I'm so dysfunctional that once I accomplish something, I'll write it on my to-do list just so I can check it off, because I like that feeling of being able to check it off or put the line through it, just because I want to make sure that, man, I'm accomplishing stuff. And if I go through a day where I didn't really accomplish anything, I just kind of get a little bit frustrated. Frustrated because I am what you would call task or goal oriented. And so what can happen since I'm task or goal oriented, if I don't accomplish the goal or the task, I'm frustrated. And what can happen in our Christian life, that can kind of transfer over. That all of a sudden we look at um, the parts of us that we know that are, are, are still kind of, we're growing, but we still struggle in those areas. And we get frustrated with ourselves that we're not farther along. And I think some of you, you're looking back over your 2015 and you're saying, I thought I'd be farther along. I thought I would have had that thing kind of kicked. I mean, I wrote it down as a resolution and I said, hey, this will be the year that this habit changes. This will be the year where I don't deal with that junk. This will be the year where I take care of these issues. And you're kind of going into 2016, you're like, I don't even know what to do because in 2015, I made the resolution. I made the decision. But you know what? It didn't pan out like I wanted to. So guess what? Maybe this just isn't for me. Maybe I'm always going to struggle with this. So what do I do? And the problem, I think, is that we see the Christian life as a project and not a process. We look at it, the Christian life that, hey, I got saved. Check that off the box. I'm done, right? We look at it as kind of like a, a, a high school senior graduating. 
And I don't know if you go to a graduation. I like going to graduations. I try to get to as many of our church people's or friends and family's graduations as I can. And I love the look on their face, you know. They get their diploma. They walk across. They're so proud. They're excited, you know. And uh, everybody's uh, cheering for them. There's pictures. People are clapping for them. They may have the lay with the money on it or candy. Or, or they're walking down. They're so proud. The principal is, is like, man, you graduated summa cum laude. And then you come along. They're like, you graduated. Thank the Lord. And, you know, they're just really happy that you just kind of made it and then you put the tassel on the other side and there's so much pride they're just beaming with such hope and such vision and such future and they just think their whole world has changed only problem is their real world has actually just started hasn't it it's like you're about to go to college you're about to start having to pay your own cell phone bill you're about to have to put your own gas in that car You're going off to college. You have to get your own job to pay for college. All of a sudden, they think, man, I have accomplished something. The rest of my life is just kind of easy street. But they're in for a rude awakening, aren't they? Or there's the bride who she's been planning for the wedding. And it's been nine months or 12 months or two years or 10 years of of preparation. And she's so excited. She got the perfect cake, the perfect colors, the perfect everything. And she went through meticulous detail and everything is going off without a hitch. I mean, she has been bridezilla up until that day where she's going to say, I do. And man, there's such a sense of relief after they get married. They're kind of like, whoo, glad that's over. Problem is you got to wake up with him every day for the rest of your life. It's just begun. You see, the moment you got saved, that was a great moment. That was a defining transitional moment. But that wasn't it. It's not like, hey, your life is done. It's over. We, get to, we, we don't struggle with sin anymore. The reality is we, we still struggle with it. We still wrestle with some things. But wh- how can we deal with those things? How can we walk these things out? And how can we become better? And that process is called, and here's the theological term, sanctification. It's you becoming more and more like Christ. You see, I thought about this. It'd be very easy for God to say, hey, Jesus, I want you to come to this earth, die on a cross, save men from their sins, and then come home. But that's not what God did, and it's not what Jesus did. Jesus, for 33 years, grew and developed, and the Bible says in Luke chapter number 2, verse 41, that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That even for uh, the, the God-man, Jesus, even he had growing and developing to do. And he did that over 33 years. And so you and I, we need to understand that it's not a project, it's a a process. Touch your neighbor and say process, process. You see, this morning we need to have that thought in our mind, that this year I'm looking at a process. And there are going to be moments that you're going to think, yes, we we made some ground. Yes, we're dealing with this issue. I'm, I'm gaining ground in this issue. But we need to look at this year that I am in process. And I'm going to work this process out. And I'm going to keep moving through this process. Because we need to go from project oriented people to process oriented people. Where we understand it's a process. Because your salvation is a process. Your salvation is a process. You say, what do you mean? You see, the moment you receive Christ Jesus, you are saved. That is one and done. But the Bible does say in this passage that we looked at, it says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
You see, that's the whole thing we mix up. We say, I've received him, and we stop at the first part of the verse. But the rest of it says, now walk in him. Now walk out your Christian life. So at home, say, hey, I deal with my temper. How am I going to deal with it? Because it is a process that we've got to walk it out. Now, I know what some of us do. You're kind of, and the best way for me to illustrate is like this. My mom, my mother-in-law is a dentist, so I'm very nice to dentists. You know, just they're they're, they're great people. I don't know how you feel about them. Um, My mother-in-law is a great dentist. I'll go there. But my mother-in-law knows I ain't doing anything she tells me to do except for brush my teeth a couple times a day. She's like, you need to floss. You need to get these little things you poke in between your teeth. And then you need to get this little retainer, kind of straighten out this. And then you need to get these special whitening strips. And then you should not drink any more coffee because it stains your teeth. And I just tell her, hey, look, I'll see you every six months. And you can do your little cleaning, little filling, all that. But guess what? I ain't going to do nothing else. I think some of us kind of approach our Christian life like that. Hey, preacher man, you can tell me to read my Bible. You can tell me to go to church. You can tell me to uh, walk with God. But guess what? You've got an hour. I'm here. Do what you can in an hour. That's not really walking in him, is it? You see, and too often that's what we do. We kind of say, hey, just like the dentist or the doctor. Hey, the doctor says, guess what, this year? And the doctors always say, I don't care. You could be as thin as anything, and the doctor will still tell you you need to lose weight. So don't feel bad that the doctor told you you need to lose weight, okay? That's just what doctors are paid to say. They tell everybody, you just got to lose weight, eat eat right, and exercise and drink a lot of water. All doctors are going to say that, so don't feel bad if you're set it this year, okay? But even the doctors, they'll go in and talk to you, and you'll listen to them, and you're like, I'm still going to eat McDonald's. Gotta, 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 gotta support McDonald's, you know? And uh, some of us, we still, we say, you know what? We listen to the doctor, but we're just like, you know what? I'm going to keep doing what I do. I'm not really going to change that. And so we need to step back and say, in church, wait a minute, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. But too often, we, instead of understanding that's a process, we just get stuck. You see, you do not reach your fullness of, of who you are in Christ in a moment. Matter of fact, one of the, arguably the greatest Christians who ever lived even wrote in Romans chapter number seven. He even said this. This is great. This is, I put it in your notes. He said, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. I know it kind of sounds like Yoda's talking there. But basically the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, the things I know I shouldn't do, those are the things I do. Can you guys relate with that? I mean, haven't you had those days? You're like, there's things I don't want to do, but those are the exact things I do. You're like, there are certain people I know I shouldn't hang around with, but guess what? I went to a party with them. And guess what? Now I know why I shouldn't hang out with them. There are certain places I shouldn't go. Guess what? I went there. Now I know why I shouldn't go there. There are certain things, certain times, certain uh, place I shouldn't spend money, shouldn't be. But you're like, you know, I found myself there. And guess what? It was bad. And the Apostle Paul, he's saying, but the things that I know I should do, he says, I struggled doing. He's saying, this is the Apostle Paul. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And even he is admitting, don't you love that transparency? Don't you love it when somebody who you look up to admire tells you, guess what? I struggle too. Guess what? I, I fight with my spouse sometimes too. Guess what? Sometimes I get frustrated with my kids and I, and I raise my tone with them a little bit too. Guess what? Yes, sometimes I lose my dog too. Work with me, people. Work with me. I'm feeling guilty here. All right? And, and, I, and, and all of a sudden, it feels good to have people that cannot sympathize with you, but empathize with you. And the Apostle Paul is saying, guess what? Hey, you got saved in a moment, but guess what? Your transformation is not going to happen in a moment. 
So some of you right now are so frustrated with you're not there yet, but I don't want you to get discouraged in 2016 like you may have been in 2015. I want you to understand that salvation is a process and it's not a one-time experience. It's an ongoing process. Every spring we try to spruce up our yard and uh, I'm not a very good um, I'm not really great at gardening and that kind of stuff, okay? I could put it along, I can mow it, I can weed it, I can trim it, I can hedge it. I can do all that kind of stuff. But green thumb, no, 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 it's not in me. It's just not there. And so I'm the type of guy that I will buy the pot, I will get the little soil, the special soil, throw it in there. I'll get the seeds, I'll dump a bunch of seeds, dump a bunch of water, and I just kind of expect it to happen. And it doesn't work out for me. So I like to buy the pre-already half-grown ones, because why? I don't have the patience. And some of you, you're exactly like that. You're thinking, I just want this process done. I want this taken care of. I want to just kind of go through this. And some of you, you're the exact same way. But we also need to see that there, there, there's, there's a salvation as a process. But then also in this process, there's this paradox to the process. Because some of you thought, once I get saved, all my struggles will kind of end. And you're frustrated that the struggles haven't quite ceased. And that's where we find the paradox of the process. Because the process has some things about it we just need to understand. You see, I used to think that once I was saved, a lot of my sin struggles or temptations would just kind of go away as well. Matter of fact, I even thought that once I got married, some of my temptations would go away. I even thought that once I became a pastor, some of my problems would go away. I even thought that once I had children, some of my issues would go away. Guess what? All of the transitions that have happened in my life have only amplified my dysfunction. It only brought it out what was already there. That's all it did. It just revealed some things about me that I didn't know. Your spouse all of a sudden becomes a mirror and it's not their dysfunction that we're irritated with. They're the mirror revealing our dysfunction. My children are not dysfunctional. They're the mirror that reveals my dysfunction because Austin's temper tantrums are his daddy's temper tantrums that he's inherited. And all of a sudden we see these things just played out. And so we need to step back and say, wait a minute, how do I grow past this? It's the paradox of the process. And I was reading in Psalm chapter number 73 this week. And in Psalm 73, it kind of helped me. The Bible says, truly God is good to Israel. And to that we would say, amen. Even to such as of, are of a clean heart. But then in verse number two, the psalmist gets so real, people. I love it. He says, but as for me, he makes a statement. He says, God is good. And all of a sudden, as a church, we'd say, hey, man, God is good. And there used to be old timers would say, uh, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. But then in verse number two, the psalmist says this, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had almost slipped for I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands of death for them, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. You ever felt like that? You say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do what's right. And you start to suffer. And the people that aren't living for God, that aren't doing right, seems like everything's going well for them. Come on, speak to me, church. We know it to be real, don't we? We know that it's hard. When you say, wait a minute, in 2015, I made a decision that I was going to be pure. And guess what? Everything fell apart. I lost my job. I got in a car accident. I lost my dog. I'm going to ride that thing to the end of the, this sermon, okay? And all these things just started happening because I made the right decision. 
And we can step back and we can get envious what he's saying. He's envious at the foolish. He's envious at the lost. And that's what we can feel. We feel like, God, wait a minute. I'm going to make some resolutions. I'm going to make some decisions that I'm going to be in church as much as possible. I'm going to get that version Bible app and I'm going to download some devotionals and I'm going to walk with you this year and I'm going to pray and I'm going to spend time in fellowship with believers and I'm going to try that growth group thing out and I'm going to try to get closer to you this year, God. But Lord, every time I try, it seems like I'm just blocked. It seems like I'm just frustrated because even when I try to give, all of a sudden, just like the video, I want to give the Lord, but then something happens. There's a medical bill or there's a, a rent that's due and I didn't expect that bill. Now it's difficult. And so we see there's this paradox of the process, but then I love what verse 16 of that same passage says. It says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He said, as I began to think about it, I just got more and more frustrated, just more and more irritated that, man, I'm trying to do right me and my relationship. And I see somebody else doesn't even care. Their relationship just seems to be great. All of a sudden, man, they're proposing and I don't have a ring. Oh, man, they got the promotion and they are cheating and stealing. What's wrong with me? And the psalmist is saying, the more I thought about it, the more I got discouraged, the more I got frustrated. And that may be you this morning. You're saying, no, I'm just kind of frustrated with life. Why is it that the good guys never win? Why is it that when the more decisions I make, the harder it is? But then I love what he says at the end in verse 17. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. He says, then until I went to church, then all of a sudden I got perspective. Then I realized something, that it's a process. You see, I need you to understand the paradox is not that God is saving me from the struggle, but that God is saving me through the struggle. It's not from it. God never said, hey, I'm gonna, now that you're saved, now that you're a child of mine, I'm going to keep you from it. Matter of fact, there are some struggles that you are going to go through. Hey, parents, you and I both know once we have little children, the struggle is good for them. They need to learn how to stand up on their own two feet. That's a good struggle. I know you see them and their little cute, chubby, wobbly legs start to wobble from them. And you're just like, oh, should I help them up? And, and, and one of the parents is always like really wants to coddle the child. And the other one is usually like, no, you need to be a man, you know, do it on his own, you know. And uh, uh, just kind of slap him on the butt and he'll, he'll be fine, you know. And so you see him kind of wobbling. And all of a sudden, he, he kind of lets go of the coffee table. And you see that child and they're about to take that first step. And then they fall. One parent laughs, the other parent cries, it's great, everybody had fun. But then, one parent wants to run over and help them, but the other parent says, no, 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 the struggle is good. They need to learn to get their balance. Did you know, just like you enjoy seeing your child go through that struggle, even though the child may get a little bit frustrated, they may throw their sippy cup or their goldfish because they can't quite stand up, they can't quite take that first step, there's still joy in watching their struggle, isn't it? And you're not like the terrible parent. You've got the video camera and you're filming it because you're going to, you're like, you could do it. This is your first steps. I know it's hard, but just take those, those, those first baby steps and, and you can make it and, and, and you can do it. And you're right there with them and you're watching your child because you're so excited. They're taking their first step and you're there clapping and cheering and calling their name. And God's doing the same thing. He's not taking you away from the struggle. He's not going to save you from the struggle. He's going to save you through the struggle. Touch the neighbor and say, God's going to save you in the struggle. God's going to save you in the struggle. God's using this struggle. There is something that you need to struggle through this year. And for some of you, the first thought in your mind is, how can I get out of any struggle? How can I run from this? And we've got an entire generation that says, I'm just going to run from the struggle. But the paradox of the process is, stop running from the struggle. Stop running from it. 
Stop running from it and running to it because the Bible says, hey, you've received Christ, now walk in him. Now, as you walk in him, the paradox of this process is that he's going to save you through the trials. He's not always going to save you from them. And, and, and don't just believe that, man, I became a Christian. All of a sudden, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be happy, healthy, uh, and wise. I'm, I'm going to have it all. You know what? Some people do. Some people don't. And guess what? They're both equally blessed. God loves each the same. And so we need to understand there's that paradox. Also, the paradox of the process doesn't necessarily mean prosperity. Here he said, I saw the, the wicked, and they were succeeding, and I wasn't. Okay, so let's not give in and think, well, if, if, if I'm really doing well, then I have to be successful in every area. And I think some of you may be tripped up because 2015, you didn't get the bonus like you expected. You didn't get the raise. You didn't get the job. You didn't get the relationship. And so you're thinking that God doesn't love you as much because there was a certain thing that did not happen. And we need to see beyond that. And we also, some of you, you're struggling with the process and it's because you put this pressure on yourself. And I don't know about you, but every time I had to go to that next level, there was this pressure that I put on myself. Starting the church every Sunday, there's this pressure. I began to feel it on, on, on Saturday. I call it PMS. I call it pre-message syndrome, okay? And uh, it, it's just every Saturday, I just kind of, I feel it, and I'm just kind of like, oh, what's going to happen? And I get irritated. Uh, last night, the worship team, they were over at my house, and they noticed I just wasn't real talkative. Why? Because my mind is already in the mode. I'm already thinking about the message. And so I'm not real outgoing. My wife knows. I just have a cup of coffee and I just look at my sermon until about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Pray over it. Ask God to get up early the next day. Pray over it and get ready. Got to get my heart and mind before church. I don't talk to a whole lot of people. It's because my heart and mind is just getting ready. And so there's this process. And so I've got this expectation of perfection and it creates this pressure. But some of you, the pressure to be perfect has paralyzed you from doing anything. You're saying, you know what? If I can't read my Bible every single day for five hours at a time, I won't read my Bible at all. It's an unreasonable expectation, but some of us were perfectionists. And so since we can't do it perfect, we just won't do it at all. Or the perfection creates that pressure that just paralyzes us, where we can't do anything, where we know we need to make a decision, but we're paralyzed by this pressure that we feel. And so it's the pressure that really we feel because of our privilege. Because the Bible says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, which means that, uh, that we are the children of God. First John, or John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And so we feel this pressure that we've got to live up to a name, that we've got to live up to a reputation. And this pressure comes because of our privilege. It comes because we know that God has called us to a higher calling, called us to a higher standard, and we don't always fulfill it. We don't always meet that standard. But I need you to understand this morning that God is patient with you during the process, that God is patient. The Bible says that God is long-suffering, which means he has this patience. And so some of you, you may look at some other Christian or somebody else at the church, and you say, well, how come they're still struggling with this issue? But the reality is that God's patient with them like he's patient with you. And God has given you the time, and God has given you the grace, and you need to live through that grace. Now, we don't abuse grace. We don't just say, hey, I, I, God's gracious to me, so I can do whatever I want. And whatever I want, I'll just live however I want, do whatever I want, drink whatever I want, smoke whatever I want, sleep with whoever I want, because I have this grace. Let's not be abusers of grace. Let's not do that. But grace is when we do mess up, when we do fall into sin. God's grace and mercy is there. So we need to understand that, hey, there's this pressure over our privilege, but let's not be abusers of it. And what also happens is we can look at somebody else and we could say, well, how come they're not living up to their privilege? How come they're not living up to who Christ has called us to be? Because we are called 
to be separate. We are called to be a holy because we're a chosen generation. So the holy simply means that I'm separate. There's things that I do simply because I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. There's things that I don't do. It doesn't make me better. It doesn't give me a chip on my shoulder. It doesn't allow me to walk in pride. But there's things that I don't do. So when somebody else doesn't live up to the standard, doesn't meet what I think should happen, I don't get to be irritated or frustrated with them. It's like this. I think many times we have a hard time showing unconditional love to others. It's because we've never experienced unconditional love. Now, I'm going to mess with some of our religion just for a little bit, but I don't mean to offend you, okay? The reason you can't love your spouse unconditionally is because your spouse will never love you unconditionally. It's impossible. We just can't. And some of you are really frustrated by this. You, you promised a vow that I will love you unconditionally, but you don't really know what that is. Because the only person that really has loved us unconditionally is Jesus Christ. That's true unconditional love. Now, the thing is, oftentimes, when we look, study Scripture, we see it as conditional, especially the Old Testament. The Old Testament is very conditional. Matter of fact, oftentimes, the Bible, the prophets would come to the nation of Israel, and there was conditions to God's blessing. We quote a verse that says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and fast and seek me, then will I hear from heaven and will heal their land. It's a conditional promise. That's the Old Testament. And a lot of times we like to live 21st century in that Old Testament. And I know I'm going kind of deep, so just hang with me. There's a point here. We often live in this conditional mindset. We bring that conditional mindset into the church. We bring it into our homes. And so we say, I'm going to love my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my spouse. I'm going to uh, be uh, respectful and honoring if people do the same to me. We live under conditions. But I need you to understand something. We don't live in Old Testament. Because in Hebrew says when the testator died, which is Jesus, that we now live under the new covenant, which is the new Testament. After Jesus Christ died, rose again, and ascended to heaven, we are now under a new covenant. You say, what is the new covenant? The new covenant is unconditional. That guess what? When God says, I love you, there's no strings attached. That when God says, hey, you're forgiven, there's no strings attached. It's no longer conditional. So we need to go from condition to unconditional. We need to go from condition to covenant, where we understand that God loves me unconditionally. So now that I can experience unconditional love, I can now express that. Because until you're experiencing it, you will never express it. And until you understand that simple truth about scripture, because many times you'll read the Old Testament and you're thinking, man, it's conditional. God's blessing, his favor is conditional, whether or not I raise my kids right, or whether or not I don't watch PG-13 movies, or whether or not I don't ever sit at a bar, or whether or not I'm this is God's love is conditional based on these things. And we've got all kinds of conditions, and you can go to churches, and they will list you all the conditions. But you need to understand something. We don't live under the conditions. It's not conditional. It's covenant. And so now because of the covenant, I can now walk this out of my life. I can now show an unconditional forgiveness to those that hurt me, wound me, that don't like me. I can now walk this out. And I can now see that under my, this pressure, this privilege, I don't have to have this expectation of being perfect. I can become all that Christ wants me to be. The Bible says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard somebody say, finish what you start? I think we have. Finish what you start. The only problem with the process, you didn't start it, so you can't finish it. You didn't start this process. The Bible specifically says that the Holy Spirit was drawing you to him. 
The moment you got saved because something was happening inside your heart and spirit. And it was so worked up inside of you. And you just felt yourself being drawn to it. There was that day when Jesus Christ was tugging at your heart. And you knew that you were lost. You knew that you had no hope without him. And all of a sudden you said, I don't know what's going on. This pastor's not even a great speaker, but something's happened. The music wasn't even all that great, but something's happening. Guess what? That church isn't that big, but something is happening. Something is drawing in my heart. Something is drawing me in my spirit. And all of a sudden you realize that it's the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. God initiated that work inside of you. And God said, I started it. I'll finish it because God always finishes what he started. Did he not? He created the world in six days. He said, I started a work in you. I will finish it. And some of you, you're frustrated with the process. You're saying this process is taking too long. And you're saying, I'm frustrated because of the process. And you need to understand that God says, I will finish this. So a spouse today, you're frustrated with your wife or you're frustrated with your husband. Understand that God says, I will get them to where they need to be. You say, I am frustrated with this other friend or I'm frustrated with this relative. I was there on New Year's. I was there at Christmas. And it just brought up all these old wounds, just brought up all these old feelings. And you need to trust that God has got them in process, that God is working things out in them, just like God is working things out in you. And so you don't need to feel this pressure over your privilege. You just need to understand that God is doing a great work in you. And you need to take Philippians 1, 6 and say, I am confident. I am confident. I am confident. And if you've got to wake up every day and say, I'm confident that God's working in me, because I promise you, you're going to go to bed at night and you're going to think, is God doing anything in my life? Because I feel just as jacked up, just as messed up, just as stupid as ever before. And you need to tell yourself, I am confident that God is working. I am confident that God is working in me. And you need to wake up with that confidence. And you need to go to bed with that confidence. I talked to somebody and I said, hey, you need to tell yourself this 50 times because the devil's going to constantly tell you you are a failure. You're flawed. You have fault. You are never going to succeed. It is over. It's final for you. You're done. And I said, every day when you wake up before you go to bed, you need to talk to yourself because you've got the devil. You've got your own thoughts. And just like we said last week, your own heart is going to condemn you. So this morning, we need to say, I am confident that God is doing a work inside of me, that God is going to complete this work. And we need to have that faith, church. You need to know that in 2016. You need to know that God is going to bring you further than when you started. Now, I'm not going to say you're always going to feel like it because there's days I go to bed and I'm thinking, what did I do? How far am I? I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old. And I promise you, there are days I wake up and think, man, am I even saved today? Because I'm just wicked. I'm just the thoughts in my mind, the wickedness in my heart. Some days I just don't even like myself. Why? Because our own heart can condemn us. And so we need to come back to scripture that says, you know what? I am confident that God is working in me. But what happens in the process is that you and I often can go passive in the process. Because the longer something takes, we just get impatient. And we think, you know what? This process isn't done. So we just kind of go passive. Well, if it's not done yet, I won't do anything at all. And we just kind of go passive on the process. The problem with that, and this is what I want to really leave and I want to drive into our minds as we leave today, is that we cannot, we must not, we dare not lose our passion in the process. Don't lose your passion in the process. Stay passionate for the things of God. Don't lose that passion. Yes, you're in process. Yes, there's things that are happening, but don't lose your passion in the process because God is bringing forth a chosen vessel. God is working something out in you. God is doing something in the lives of your children. God is doing something in the life of your family. God is doing something in the life of this church. And we can get frustrated while we're in the process, but we need to come back to the fact that God says, wait a minute, let's not lose passion in the process. 
I was reading uh, Psalms chapter number 11. And in verse number one, it says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say you to my soul? Flee as a bird to your mountain. Sometimes I feel like that. Now think about it. Birds, have you ever tried to take a picture of one or get close to one? You can't be real loud, can you? Why? Because birds are the most skittish creatures, aren't they? I mean, except when you're in San Francisco and it's seagulls. I mean, they come right up to you. You got food. I mean, I took a teen activity to the beach one time, and one of our kids took all the hot dog buns, all of them. And he was just feeding all the birds. So we had a bunch of hot dogs and a bunch of hamburgers and no buns. We were just kind of like, this is great, man. Thanks for feeding the birds, all right? This is great. And so you got those, they'll come up to you. But otherwise, birds are so skittish. And so you'll see a bird, and especially if it's a rare one, what do you tell your, your children or your spouse or whoever's with you? Hey, shh, there's a bird, there's a bird. You don't want to chase it. You know what the psalmist is saying? He's saying that's how people want me to be. They want me as a Christian to be that skittish. He's, there, he's, he's illustrating the fact that, guess what? What I'm going through, and this is David talking. We can't put the exact time of when this happened. This could have been right before he faced Goliath. They think it's when major events or before he, faced, or before his, he was being betrayed by Absalom. They say those are the two points that he's referencing. Either one's pretty traumatic. So if he's about to face Goliath, you could see why people would say, aren't you afraid? And some of you right now, you're probably thinking 2016. Yeah, I'm in church, but I'm really afraid of this year. I'm watching the stock market. I'm watching the interest. I'm looking at my job layoff. There's a whole lot of insecurity. I'm looking at the climate of culture. I'm looking at wars, rumors of wars and flooding. And I'm not very old, but guess what? I've never seen it like this. I've never seen as much devastation in the world as I have. And some of you lived a little bit longer than I have. And you understand that, yeah, no, something's up. And I'm not a doomsdayer. I am not like that at all. But the reality is we do need to step back and just say, you know what? Watch the news and open your Bible. You'll see a lot of correlation. The fact that the Pope, and I know we may have some people that may lean Catholic and you're here exploring Christianity. But the fact that the Pope would say, I'm going to read out of the Quran and the Pope would play and pray to uh, 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 um, Islam. That right there is the breaking down of the religious walls, which we see in, in Revelation where it says, hey, there's going to be a one world religion. You just see things happening. And we as believers need to have our eyes aware, but we should not, even in the midst of trouble, flee as a bird to a mountain. And that's what your heart and your emotions are going to want to tell you, but guess what? That's not what we should do. And there may be a situation you're facing, you know what you need to do, but you're saying, hey, I feel like a bird that just wants to fly to some safe place. That's not what we as Christians do. We're not moving to Montana. We're not going to build a bunker. We're not going Y2K and get a bunch of bullets and shotguns. We're not doing that, church, because we understand that God has got something for us, so we're not going to flee as a bird to the mountain. Verse number two says, for lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrows upon the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. He's even saying, guess what? Right now, my enemies, they're taking me. They're setting the target. They're getting the bow ready. And if you've that ever uh, shot a bow and arrow, you understand that back then, if you had, today we got these great compound bows. Back then you had a single string bow. And you didn't leave the string on the bow. You didn't, you didn't do the Robin Hood thing and sling it on your back. You didn't do that. Why? The wood would eventually snap that way. And so he's saying that the archers, they would first put the bow between their legs and they'd grab the string from behind over the shoulder. And that's how they would tie it. And he's saying, I see my enemies doing that. He's using metaphor saying, hey, I can see the danger. He says, I see it coming. And then verse number three, he says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And it's a rhetorical question. 
Because right now you can go to New York and if any of those massive buildings did not have a foundation, guess what's going to happen to it? It's going to fall over, isn't it? And he's saying this, Christian. He's saying that when trouble comes, if you do not have a solid foundation, you will fall. And so this year, as you go into this year, for you not to lose your passion, you need to have a solid foundation as you go into this year. Because you're going to face some things that you're not quite, quite prepared for. And God said, I'm going to use this process to prepare you. But if you resist the process, God's saying, that's the foundation part. I was laughing. I was driving through Morgan Hill. And they had an empty field. And uh, some of you live in Morgan Hill. You probably know the sign. And I was driving past. And I look in the field. And it said, such and such business complex coming soon. And I laugh because I know building projects. They never come soon. Never. No. It years, years, months. I remember when we could, some of these buildings that, that you see that go up, they'll spend over years just doing the foundation. You'll just see dirt coming up out of a hole. Why? They're making sure there's a solid foundation. And some of you may be frustrated in the process, but what I need you to get excited about, I need you to get excited about your foundation. I need you this year to get excited about what nobody else will see. I need you to get excited about saying, hey, the internal parts. Hey, my favorite part about the Golden Gate Bridge is what nobody else sees. It's what's below the waterline because that's what keeps us all safe as we cross that bridge. It's not that paint. It's not that lights that make that bridge safe. It's not those little cords you see hanging down. No, 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 no. The thing that makes that bridge safe and the thing that makes it so we can drive across it and we can enjoy it and it's on postcards and we send it to loved ones and family, we take pictures in front of is the thing that most people overlook in the foundation. And the most important thing about your life and my life, that if we're gonna go through 2016 and have the success God wants us, it's what nobody else is gonna see. It's the time where you get on your knees and you say, you know what? I've gotta be in my Bible. I've gotta be close to God. It's the time where you say, I've gotta get down and I gotta get God's word in my heart. And nobody else sees you praying. Nobody else sees you begging God to do a miracle but you're there and God sees you and it's you're just laying foundation nobody else sees you as you serve in that ministry as you go out there and you get up early on a Sunday morning help set up nobody else sees it but you're laying foundation nobody else may see it as you're over there changing a baby's diaper but guess what you're laying a foundation maybe nobody else will see as you've been witnessing to your coworker, witnessing to your neighbor but guess what you're laying foundation and we've got to get excited about foundational truth this year we've got to get excited about things that we hear talks about sanctification we've got to say you know what? This is what I need this year because last year was not the year I needed it to be. And it could be because our foundation wasn't deep enough. And this is the year we say, you know what? I, I'm going to get back to the basics. I coached basketball as a horrible coach, but guess what? The one thing I could teach was the basics. Hey, we're going to dribble. We're going to pass. We're going to do layups. We're going to run. We're going to be trained. We're going to run the others off the court. We may not have the best skill, but guess what? We can know the basics. We can know the fundamentals. Guess what? You don't have to have all 66 books of the Bible memorized. You don't have to have all, all verses in the Bible memorized. You don't have to know all the doctrines and all the theology but guess what if you just know the basics if you just say i've got god's word hidden in my heart you'll stay passionate this year you won't get frustrated in the process you'll say you know what i'm not when things get tough your your spirit's not going to want to be like that bird that flees to the mountain when something happens you're not going to say i'm out of church oh that didn't work out i tried that tithing pyramid scheme thing it didn't work for me i'm not doing that again uh-uh didn't no i gave away trees to that christmas thing and guess what i didn't have a very good christmas and i gave away a bunch of trees and i didn't have this and i don't have that no 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 we need to get back to foundation this year we need to get back to passion because the alter, the alternative is passive. And we've got churches riddled with passive Christians. Is that what you and I are going to be? Passive this year? We just kind of sit back, oh, whatever. It's all good. Or we're going to say, you know what? I'm going to get passionate this year. I'm going to get passionate about my children. I'm going to get passionate about my spouse. I'm going to get passionate about my job. 
So Monday morning, man, I'm coming in with some bagels. I'm coming in with some donuts. I'm coming in with some coffee for that person. You know what it is? It's going to be a different year. Hey, I'm going to get up a little bit early. Hey, I'm going to spend just a few more minutes with God. Hey, I, I got this new thing, and you'll see videos promoting it, where it's a version Bible app. They'll download these little devotionals. They take five, ten minutes. Man, they've been so good for me. I just read, and it's got a couple verses and a couple devotionals. And man, this morning, I'll be honest, I woke up, and I was a little bit dreading today. But I just began to read God's word. I just began to read some devotional thoughts. And inside my spirit, it just started to get lighter. And I just started to get excited about what God was doing. And my spirit just returned. I was hopeful. And man, by the time the kids were up, by the time the wife was up, by the time it was time to go out the door, I was ready because God's word was in my heart. My foundation was ready. So this year, we've got to get that foundation. We've got to start with the basics. I know some of you are like, well, we need to get, oh, wait. No, 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 let's back up. Some of you, you're baby Christians here. Some of you, are brand new, and it's exciting for you. And I need you to understand that it's foundational. I need you to get back to the basics. I love what our, our, our once great coach, Jim Harbaugh, said. Miss that guy. And I bet you York is missing that guy right now. And if you listen to this podcast, get him back. I don't think he listens to our podcast, but if he does. But he said this. He said, somebody asked him what he thought of the word go. And this is what he said. When I think of that word go, it means to attack each day with the enthusiasm unknown to man. That's what he said. And when you look at his coaching, we look at the man he was, he lived it, didn't he? You and I, when we hear the word go this year, we, that means to attack each day with the enthusiasm unknown to man. That we get in our Bible and say, God, I, I, I got 10 minutes, I got 15 minutes, and I could play a game, I could text somebody, I could call somebody, but God, I got, to, I got some time, I'm going to spend it with you. You know what, I got some extra time I can spend at the church, I got some extra time I can spend with the family, I got some extra time I can spend with the wife, I got extra time I can spend in prayer, I got some extra things that I'm going to do because I'm building a foundation, because I want a skyscraper one day. I don't want a house that falls over. I don't want to have a house that's built on shifting sands. I want something that's strong and that lasts. But the process, process is where we get frustrated. So, oh, it's taking too long, and it always does. Always does. But this is how you and I will survive the process. I don't know. How many of you guys have something like this? You guys you have these? How many of you lose yours like all the time? Any people that you lose? I lose these all the time. I refuse to take them with me. I go over. We've been at our families in Fresno's last couple uh, holidays and everything. And I've lost about two or three every time I go over there. I'm like, somebody's taking them. I, I just can't, can't find them. And I need them because uh, I need to do the updates on my iPhone. And there's like an update every 45 minutes that I've got to do on my stinking iPhone. I'm like, really? Again? All right. Another update. Great. And my wife said, yeah, you want to do that update because it's got all these different emoticon characters. You've got to have those emoticon characters. I'm thinking, what's an emoticon? What, what, what is this? She's like, you need the one with the little teardrop. And this one's got teeth. You need the one with teeth. That one's got a mustache. You need the dude with the mustache. You want that one. I'm like, really? I just used the little poop one. That's the one I use. That's, that's it. I'm set, you know? Sorry to get crude in church. I apologize. But we understand we need these cords. Why? Because when we do the update, you know what your phone says? Do not disconnect. Sinking, right? The Bible says in John 15, verse number four, abide in me and I in you. Stay connected. Abide, connect in me and I in you that you might bring forth much fruit. So here's the decision you have to make. Am I going to disconnect during my development? 
because you're in process. Am I going to disconnect from church? Am I going to disconnect from my Bible? Am I going to disconnect from prayer? Am I going to disconnect from service? I'm syncing up. God's downloading an upgrade inside of me. This is iOS infinity. This is iOS eternity that God is updating into my heart. And if I disconnect, I'm missing out on my development. So this year, will you stay connected? So I'm going to get plugged into that growth group and I'm going to stay connected this year. I'm not going to disconnect for anything. Because if I abide in him and he in me, then I'm going to have fruit. I may not have everything I want, but I'm going to have something to show for next year. I'm going to have something that God's going to do in my life. So don't disconnect during your development. Can we all stand as we close in prayer?